Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Osiris. Greetings and welcome back to Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this is episode 34. I'm really excited to welcome a friend onto the podcast today who also happens to be a world-class singer, phenomenal songwriter, and someone I think the world's about to learn much more about very soon. Lindsay Liu joins us today. We talk about everything that's going on with her career, her awesome new album, Queen of Time, and we also get into a great conversation about trusting yourself and taking agency and making that decision that you're, you're ready to step up and own it in big situations. Quick word about my sponsor this season, Deering Banjos. Love this company. They make phenomenal banjos. They make some really high-end banjos that are beautiful, beautiful workmanship, great tone. And they also make, in my opinion, the best affordable banjo that's out there today. That's the Good Time series. And if you are not a full-time banjo player, if you're dabbling, looking to get into it, definitely check out the Good Time. Deering's also got a great series of live videos going on via their Instagram and their YouTube channel as well called Deering Live that features interviews with and some playing from great banjo players, claw hammer, three finger, all different styles. And I'm actually gonna be on Deering Live coming up, so stay tuned for that. I'm using Deering's banjo picks right now. They're, they're heritage banjo picks and they're large thumb pick. They feel great, they sound great. For all your banjo needs, check out Deering. Inside the Musician's Brain is also brought to you by Osiris Media. Osiris is home to so much great music-based podcast content. And lately I've been listening to No Simple Road. This podcast is all things music with great hosts, great guests, and great discussion. Very similar to a lot of the things we talk about here on ITMB. And if you're into fish, you got to check out Undermine, great podcast hosted by my friends RJB and Tom Marshall, who are also the founders of Osiris. And Osiris has got a ton of great podcasts, so check them out. Take a spin through their catalog. You're sure to find something that you'll love. We are also brought to you by Americana Vibes. That's the infamous String Dusters record label, and there actually are a few great records that I've produced here in the last year that are coming down the pipeline on Americana Vibes, one from Morsel, great band based here in Colorado, and another Colorado band, The Sweet Lilies. They made a great record as well. So stay tuned to Americana Vibes. Now for our conservation shout out today, I want to hip you all to protect our rivers. You can you can check out everything they've got going on at protectourrivers.org. This is an amazing conservation group focused on protecting rivers and the natural world in general, and you can donate to protect our rivers. But what I love about this group is that they give you some easy, very tangible ways to get involved, especially if you live out here in Colorado. They are regularly organizing these great river cleanups, and they have a humongous impact right here at home on rivers that I know I love, that I visit frequently, that I know many people care about. So we've really all got to start figuring out a way to be part of the solution and you know, getting out there and doing some good in the world also pays back in ways that you could never predict. So check out protectourrivers.org. 
All right, on to the music now. We've got Lindsay Liu in the house today. And I'm guessing that much of this audience has already heard Lindsay. But if you haven't, you got to check her out. Her singing is so powerful. It is so raw at times, so gentle and subtle, beautiful at times. She is a really, really talented artist, excellent songwriter as well. And her star is rising right now. That is safe to say. If you've been out on the roots, bluegrass, jamgrass scene at all, if you've been to festivals recently, you've probably seen her performing with her own band or sitting in frequently with lots of great acts. She's sat in with the String Dusters multiple times. You'll see her doing artist at large spots pretty frequently. She's great at that. She has a killer new album, Queen of Time. Great songs. Great players, great singing, all the different things that you would expect, and we get into talking about all of that here in just a minute. We also get into, I think, a really cool, insightful discussion about the idea that rising to the occasion in big moments, in big situations, is actually a choice that you make rather than than some magic, than some Hail Mary that gets completed and you're not sure why. And I guess another word for that, another good word for that would be agency, the feeling that you have agency over your actions and their outcomes. You have the power to decide. And Lindsay has some great stories about being in the studio with some big name musicians that she admires and sort of having this simultaneous kind of oh shit and aha moment. Oh shit, because, you know, this is a big situation and maybe the pressure's on. It's a big role with with big decisions to make, and you want to get it right. And an aha moment because she realizes that in that situation, in that moment, what ultimately happens is just up to you and your decision to step up and own it. It didn't just happen by accident. She didn't just wait for it to happen. She made the call. She made it happen. She decided. And I just love that. I love that distillation of things. I love that glimpse into the process of making magic into her process and her way of explaining it. That's really inspiring. Now, it goes without saying that it takes a lot of reps and experience and intention. And that agency factor, that's probably something that you could be working on. No, that's definitely something that you could be working on for the rest of your life. But the awareness that you can make that decision in that moment makes the decision itself possible. And that's a big one right there. Big time realization, big time fuel for your imagination, for your perception of what's possible. You decide. You decide what's possible. And of course, goes without saying that you might not nail it the first time around. You might not nail it the first hundred times around because there's just no substitute for experience. But knowing that you can make that decision is a very empowering step along the way. Because if you decide that something is possible, well, that's surely the first step to making it so, right? And likewise, our limitations are just a construct of our beliefs. And if you don't think that you can do something, well, newsflash, you probably can't. And you know, if you zoom out, you realize that all of these things, abilities, limitations, none of them are actually real. They're not set in stone, but rather They are whatever we can imagine them to be. And what we imagine one day, what we see as an ability or a limitation one day could be drastically different than the day before. And and I think that a lot of the situations that we encounter, they are often so much more wide open than we think if we can just perceive them to be so, if you can just open your mind. So I'm talking about challenging situations, situations you've encountered before and you feel like, maybe they didn't go according to plan, maybe you didn't rise to the occasion, your belief in yourself and your perception that you're ready, that you're confident, well, that is such a critical first step. And the way we perceive something is actually a decision we make, a muscle we can strengthen, something we can practice. It's not a miracle. It's really just awareness and habit. And you'll hear a great example of that in just a minute in this upcoming talk with Lindsay, like I said, really, really inspiring. And she talks about it more specifically in the context of stepping out as a producer, which is definitely a role where you're making lots of decisions in real time decisions that really require to trust yourself, 
to trust your your intuition and obviously you're surrounded by a lot of people who are very invested in what's going on talented opinionated people so that's a big situation that's a time when you really want to be in the flow that's when you really want to get it right i can remember producing a session for the sweet lilies for their their new record which came out great they crushed it and when we were working on the record we got to a point toward the end of the session where we had a bunch of harmonies left to do and we sort of hit this impasse where it became clear that a lot of the harmonies were not even arranged yet we didn't have a ton of time people were really busy doing lots of different stuff in the studio and it fell on me to arrange these vocals and i remember because this is not something that i'm as experienced with as say banjo playing or arranging for the band but i do sing i'm around vocal arrangement all the time always paying really close attention and so given that fact you know even more important for me to trust myself but i remember in the moment just kind of making that call like all right this needs to happen now so you know grab a guitar sit down at the piano and just go because for me a big part of it i remember feeling this a big part of it is don't wait around long enough to let that doubt creep in just get rolling just let your instincts take over and i think those harmonies came out great if only it were easy to put these words into action every time with consistency that's that's of course the challenge but talking about it thinking about it always helps and it was such a joy to talk about and think about all these things and so much more with the amazing Lindsay Lou. here we go when you hear your name out loud is it a sweet and easy sound or with fury is it rushing around your stormy When you shine and shine for days in technicolor and radio waves, do you have a little that you saved for the rainy days? All right, we're here today on Inside the Musician's Brain, and my guest is a phenomenal singer. She's been everywhere on the roots music scene these last few years and whether she's sitting in with any number of bands or performing under her own name she's always making amazing music Lindsay lou welcome to the podcast thanks for having me panda so talk to me where are you how you doing um i'm home right now um i'm live in nashville we actually moved to madison in june last june Oh wow! So um, you're you're out of the fabled Petway house. Yes, the fabled Petway house <laughs> um, got sold out from out from underneath us. So the Petway house is is no more. Okay. Um, but they're they're fixing it up, and I still like creep past it every once in a while and see where they're at. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was quite an era, the Petway era. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that, and also I think that also kind of speaks to the changing nature of Nashville, which I want to get your thoughts on because, you know, I was a Nashville resident way back when it wasn't nearly as cool back when, you know, Critter and I moved to East Nashville and I bought, you know, a four bedroom house for like $140,000. And I don't think you can oh do that kind of, I know, I don't think you can do that kind of thing anymore, but, um, but it's cool because I, I have noticed over the years that you guys have done a lot of really neat stuff at the Petway House and brought all these amazing musicians together. And, and, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. But let's start by kind of talking about what's going on with you, because you got a new record coming up, huh? I do. I have um, this record that I started working on like three years ago now. We actually went in and started the first session like the we did like a three-day session and the last day was like the day before the world shut down it was oh, wow. really wild um so you know we kind of slowly uh went about working on it over over the course of the next three years and a lot happened over the course 
from when I started it until now is like been uh, quite the unfolding, I would say. Do you mean a lot has happened in your life or with these songs <laughs> yeah. specifically or all of the above? Yeah, it was like the songs were like foreboding everything that was oh wow about to hit me, you know? Sure. Um, you know, I guess that's kind of, there's a sort of magic to music that, that does that, you know, and I'm, and I've, and I was, most of the songs were songs that I had written. Either I had written them or co-written them or, you know, this is always how I do my records. It's most of the songs that I had written or co-written. And then I always have one to three other songs that friends of mine have written that just really struck me and felt to, felt like it spoke to the, the moment, to the zeitgeist of my experience of the moment. Sure. <laughs> um, so the first song on the record is a, a song written by Phoebe Hunt and Maya DeVitri, who have both been really close, good friends awesome. of mine in the Nashville scene. And when I heard the song for the first time, um, you know, Phoebe had sent it to me because she and I and, and Dominic Leslie were going to play a little gig, um, you know, a little outdoor pandemic gig. And... Um, she sent me a, a couple songs and she sent me this one and said she'd just written it or that, that she had written it with Maya and I had just gotten together with Maya and like told Maya everything that was going on in my life and I thought man she they must have written this like with me in mind you know and that's it cool. wasn't it wasn't the case but that's another thing that's another thing about music and about songs is that it like really if it's if it's well done you feel like it was written for you you know that's, that's really cool so that's the first song on the record. I got Jerry Douglas to play uh, Dobro on it, and Dominic Leslie is playing mandolin on it, and then my core band that I've been touring with over the last several years, PJ and Anthony DaCosta and Alex Bice. Um, and it turned out really nice. It's a really nice... I just played it for Anders and Billy the other day, and Billy was like, man, it feels like a warm hug. <laughs> Which Can't is funny because... This, you know, this record is like, there's a lot of, it sort of has come in this, out of this place of like processing grief, but it's like the warm hug that accompanies grief, you know, that's so, what this record is to me. I love that. So, so you actually had a lot of the record in the can before the pandemic hit, it sounds like, but then no, I had just started it. I oh, had you had just a, started it. Okay. Yeah, I had I had just started working on it with this producer, Dave O'Donnell, who um, uh, I'm just like rambling now, but um, <laughs> but this is a really cool story about how Tell I me. got got together with this producer. That um, you know, there's like this. This it, it almost whenever I tell this story, it almost feels like, you know, those moments where you're tripping and it feels like everything has happened just perfectly in your life in order to come to this moment. A little <laughs> singularity <know>? kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, I've been I've been recording all of these uh, talks with my grandmother who passed in the like in the middle of the pandemic um, while I was making this record. But I've, I, before she passed, I got her whole life story recorded That's in great. like 27 hours of uh, basically little storytelling interviews that I'd recorded. Um, cool. And one of the stories that she had told me was about um, when she gave birth to my Uncle Stucky, who was one of my biggest musical influences. He was like the one that I couldn't wait to sing with. He's the one I mentioned, an old song that... I waited patiently just to sing that old song with you. You know, he was born. My grandma gave birth to him on the on the floor in the bathroom at the farm. Um, and when she was going through her contractions, she would sing a verse of Fire and Rain, the James Taylor song. She didn't know it was a James Taylor song or where it came from. She just, you know, the... Uh, won't you look down upon me, Jesus? You gotta help me make a stand. Mm -hmm. I won't make it any other way. Or I'm like, you know, forgetting the exact lyrics right now. But <laughs> um, it was, she said her contractions would last exactly the length of 
that verse. Um, and so here my Uncle Stucky comes into the world with my grandma singing a James Taylor song. He becomes one of my biggest musical influences. He inspires me how to learn harmony, how to play. He went to prison for a while and I felt like a big part was missing from like uh, my life of somebody like leading the jams and the, and the world around me. So I learned how to play guitar so I could lead the jams like Uncle Stucky did and learned all these Indigo Girls songs that he used to sing. And um, he comes back and my mom takes him to a James Taylor concert. And like a few weeks later, we were at Thanksgiving dinner and he was like, man, I can die happy now that I saw James Taylor. And then he died that night um, in a drinking and driving accident. Um, so, you know, fast forward all these years, I've, I've started this music career, yada, yada, yada. And then um, I released Southland, it's on Spotify, this producer who's been working with James Taylor, produced James's last handful of records, the, the ones that won the Grammys and everything. And he's listening to Spotify and one of my songs from Southland, I think it was The Voice, came on his whatever, Spotify radio or playlist or whatever. And he heard it and it caught his attention. So he looked up the record, listened to the record, and he had just been finishing a record with James and with Sheryl Crow, and his managers asked him, um, you know, to send him a list of names of people he wants to work with next. And he said he sent them a list with one name on it, and it was mine. <laughs> so it just that feels is like too cool. <laughs> it just feels like the spirits are like, you know, sending sending me on my path, you know. So, so I. I felt my uncle Stucky at, at work there. So he, so we went into the studio, recorded. I sent him a bunch of songs I had and written, but just like little voice memo demos of. Mm-hmm. And we went into the studio and recorded a couple of those. But then you know, it's like over the course of the next couple of years, I'm like, all everything has happened to me, and I'm, you know, my grandma passes, and I'm hearing this new song, and I'm writing this new song, and it all just sort of came together mainly over the course of. 2020, 2021, a little bit of 2022. Wow. That's quite a story. I'm sure your uncle is tuned in from the grave in a major (laughs) way. That's too cool. So did you end up then writing more songs than you anticipated as the pandemic wore on? Because obviously things were kind of on hold, maybe a little bit delayed, or at least initially you had a vision that, hey, we're going to make this album and then kind of everything changed. Do you feel like maybe the context for some of your songwriting changed as well? The context changed, but it was like, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing in the songs because nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Nothing happens out right. of nowhere. It's like all these songs are leading up to what came and what what happened. I mean, I couldn't have predicted the pandemic, but the pandemic sort of, you know, I think that, you know, my marriage was had, had, you know, things could have gone any way, but the pandemic sort of gave space for that to take some space, you know, because since we were we were on the road together mm-hmm. for 13 years. And so there was not really ever any time to separate, you know. Absolutely. And so so that sort of but, you know, all the there's a lot of songwriting around you know, just the the state of the union, <laughs> yeah. you know, that sort of led to all of that happening. Well, it's, an, it's a really interesting thing with the pandemic because I feel like as it relates to creativity, I've heard this from a lot of artists. Yes, the pandemic was its own unique earth-shaking event, but actually what it forced us to reckon with were a lot of things that were already going on. Totally. And it just kind of sped everything up and put us in this pressure cooker. And, and, you know, I think in a lot of cases, it sounds like including yours, a lot of things potentially that needed to be realized, that needed to be felt, that needed to be kind of fleshed out, that all started happening kind of post 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Cause all of a sudden we had the space to confront the things that needed confronting. Yeah. So, so, you know, Dave, I like wasn't sure even he like, you know, they reached out to my management. My management says this guy, Dave O'Donnell, wants to work with you. And I was like, I don't know this guy. It's really I think it's cool that he's worked with, 
you know, the list of people that he's worked with and that he's engineered and produced is totally insane. He was like on the mixing session of Touch of Grey and he, you know, uh, engineered John Mayer's like groundbreaking records. He's like, his CV is absolutely insane. But I didn't know him and and I know that he's not, you know, I've like, I've had been working with people like Dan Nobler who are like musicians in town. I thought well, maybe I need to work with someone I know who's a musician. I wasn't like convinced on Dave yet, but he just like stayed on me and he would call me. Like I wouldn't talk to him for months and he would follow up and be like, how's it coming? How's it going? You know, he just like stayed in touch and stayed on me and gave me as much space as I needed, but also never, never backed away or, or let things fizzle out. Like yeah. he really stayed on me. And, and so you know, and he would listen back through, I sent him a lot of recordings. Some of them were just like a chorus, you know, and he'd say, I like that one. Let's finish that one. Record. We recorded like 20 songs and I released four of them as an EP last, well, yeah, it'll, it'll be last June. You thought you knew. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. And, and then I've got 10 more that are going to come out on this record. That's, that's great to hear. And it's interesting because when it comes to producers, there's really no substitute for experience. Like experience just opens so many doors. The more experiences you have, the more you know. And I think one thing that fans of music don't necessarily have a a lot of insight into is how a producer affects the music that they're a part of. And I'm curious to hear from you, you know, if you had to boil it down into a few elements, like when you're actually in the studio, you know, you've picked the songs, you've worked on the music, and now it's on to the business of capturing things and making this great record. How would you describe the effect that he had on on your songs and on the process? Well, I mean, probably one of the biggest things is is what I was just talking about, is him just like not giving up on me and just staying with me. You know, I was like, I was kind of, I was a little bit of an emotional wreck for a lot of this, you know, and, and could have given up on myself at any minute, but he's like, you know, no, it's good. It's good. You know, this is, this is like the day of O'Donnell, uh, um, you know, just persistence and, you know, he, he, he's really good at capturing you know, he's all about just like getting really good sounds, getting real, and especially focusing on the vocal. And he, he'll let me redo things as much as I want, but he's not going to make me redo anything if I don't want to. You know, he just like gives me the space, but is there to support me. And all producers do things differently, you know, mm-hmm. but he's, um, he's just so good at just being, being the presence that you need in order to see a recording come to fruition. Um, you know, and you trust him, you have so much respect for him and because of how much experience he has, um, you know, he's, it's like, we've, we've basically finished the whole record. We got it mastered and I listened to it and I was like, you know, I feel like it needs, it's like missing some low end information. And so he's like, Oh, great. I love, I love doing things over. You know, he's just like, I've, I've worked with so many people who are like, you know, you only have this many chances and like, it's gotta be done now. And Dave isn't like that. He's like, no, let's make it the best it can be. And he's really good at mixing. You know, I think that's one of his strengths. Um, He has such a wonderful way of bringing everything out and he's really easy to communicate with. So, you know, when I listen to things, um, I'll hear something and I'll tell him like, I want to hear it this way differently. And he's, and he'll work his magic and come back and it's like, yeah, you did it. You yeah. you did exactly what I needed to hear, um, which is a special skill. Well, it sounds like he, it sounds like he's a really music first, music first, music at all costs. And I love working with people like that because mm-hmm. even though sometimes, you know, they might not be like, for example, the cheapest option out there, but you know, you get what you pay for. And in terms of, artistry and creativity, I feel like there's this 
currency around the, people's investment to the music. And when you work with people who are just like, my thing here is I work until this music is as good as it can possibly be. Yeah. Not only do you get a great finished product, but you get all this kind of inspirational energy along the way, right? Yeah. He, he, and he really taught me a lot because I've sort of been moving into this producer role now myself. I'm working with Anders Beck on uh, this project that is feels really close to home um just in terms of uh investment in personal history knowing where you came from you know preserving your own legacy and and your own line understanding your personal history um where his he's got this book of his great-grandfather's poems and we're bringing friends of ours into the project and having you know, people in the scene who we love and admire take these poems and turn them into songs. So awesome. I have one. Um, Booksy's got one that he's turned into a song. Um, but the ones we've recorded so far are mine. Uh, the the Wood Brothers, me and Anders and Oliver Wood got together and turned one into a song and recorded the Wood Brothers doing it. We uh, and most recently. Um, I've, you know, I just spent five days in Mexico, came home and then went into the studio. I had a 14 hour day and a 12 hour day in the studio producing these songs. Um, the first one was Kyle's song, which had Jerry Douglas and Anders, Daru Jones and Dominic Davis, um, Jack White's rhythm section and Jerry Anders and Kyle. And, you know, that's like, and, and Glenn Brown was there engineering. That's like a room full of very experienced producers, mm-hmm. you know, between Glenn and Jerry and Daru and Dominic. That's like, and here I am with my clipboard playing the producer role. And, you know, the, the Wood Brothers session felt, it was very empowering because I watched over the last few years, I've been watching Dave produce this record and I learned so much from him about mm-hmm. production. And I felt like I, I've had a lot of space and, and the Wood Brothers just have this energy and this like really supportive vibe that I felt like, man, like everybody was like, man, you're, you're a great producer, Lou, you know, you're doing such a great job. And I felt great. But then I get into this room with all of these you know, sort of big wig producers. And here I am with my clipboard. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, biting fingernail polish off of my fingers, just trying to play it cool. Um, but, you know, it's like the producer is the listener. It's such an important role because yeah. you're, uh, the musicians are playing and it's such a different, you have such a different ear when you're a part of it. Now, these you know, and I'm also singing on all these songs that I'm producing, but um, I, I basically sing on it once the track is, you know, I like arrange the, the BGVs and then, um, you know, I'm, I'm mostly in the producer chair while it's happening. And then I will pass the clipboard over to Anders while I do my thing. Um, but... You know, I was I was singing scratch vocals for the so we did that that session Kyle's song. The next session we did the song that we worked up with Billy Strings, and that was Royal Billy Kyle, Dom Leslie Anders and me, and you know it was like a totally that that just felt like hanging out with all my friends, but also you know just just trying to like keep track of everything that's happening of all the performances of the arrangement, you know what I mean? Like you're here, you're listening to it. You're not playing it. You're listening to it. Yeah. And so, you know, you can hear like, Hey, that shouldn't have a verse and a chorus break before the jam. Like this, we should cut the verse break out of that. Things like arrangement, things like this. Um, but also, you know, knowing how to direct the players to get the right thing that you want, you know, and, and I learned a lot from working with Glenn Brown that way too. Um, you know, and I, and I realized that I've sort of been producing my own music too, this whole time as Absolutely. I've been making my own records, you know, no, that, no doubt it's, I, and cause I do a fair amount of producing myself and I say to, you know, everyone who's a musician is a producer, you're a producer of your own sound, you're yeah. a producer of your own aesthetic. And, and it's funny because sometimes you get almost lulled into thinking like, oh, this session's going to be easy because I don't have to worry about playing. But actually in terms of investing your energy 
your emotions, all of it into that moment and being, you have to be so present to be good at that job. And ultimately you mm -hmm. really have to trust what you're thinking and your own instincts, you know? Totally. So how do you think, how do you feel like you did when you were in with Glenn and Jerry <laughs> and all the heavyweights? How did it go? I mean, like I said, I definitely bit all of the nail polish off of my fingers, <laughs> <laughs> but I did like, I did trust my instincts. I mean, I made the decision to trust my instincts. It wasn't that there it wasn't that it was like super easy. It was that I just said like this is this is my job here. This is what I'm doing. This is my role and I I know how it looks and I can acknowledge that that I sort of felt like the little girl in a room of big wig men who have like, you know, all of these years of experience. But that was that's, I don't know how I end up in these situations, but I do and I am and it's for a reason. And I just have to say, no, you have to, you have to make the decision to trust your instinct. Even when you say to Towery Jones, I want you to do that stick thing into the chorus. And he looks at you and he says, are you sure? <laughs> you know, moment of truth. It's like maybe <laughs> I'm not, maybe I'm not going to say yes, but I'm going to say, yeah, I think so. And you're going to, I'd like to hear you do it. We'll get right back to my interview with Lindsay Liu after this very short break. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. I, and it's, it's cool because... You know, I've like, I also am like noticing myself, you know, I'm, I'm getting to see my own experience because, you know, and in the flat belly days, if someone would have said that to me, if somebody would have like challenged me, I would have, I would have felt like flustered or frustrated, you know, but like, here I am, I've arrived to this moment and I don't feel frustrated. I see what you're doing. I respect you. You know, and I still want to hear this idea because sure. <laughs> that's what I'm here. And you're calling me boss the whole time. So, <laughs> well, you're there. You're there for a very clear reason. And you're, you know, you're a badass and people respect you. And that's why you're there. And I love what you said a moment ago about how you decided to trust yourself, because there is something really simple in there. And I think people get tricked into thinking that there's some magic that happens or some moment where, you know, you've transcended the place you were before and now it's on to this next thing when actually it's really so simple. And, and I think experience is a major factor, but, you know, my hat's off to you for sort of realizing that that ultimately is the thing that it takes is just like deciding, okay, I'm going to mm -hmm. own this now. Yeah. And that's, that's when things start to really move, I think, in all different facets of your career because underneath all of it, whether it's you know your work as an artist or a producer, finding your voice, it's that kernel of trust and that decision yeah. you know, that comes with a lot of experience and all of a sudden you're like, this is what I think and yeah. here's how we're gonna do it. That's cool. And you know, it's like, I mean, Daru's one of the best drummers I've ever heard in my life. He's like, an enormous talent and he's you know he you know records with Erica Badu I mean come on you mm -hmm. know so it's like part of you is like who am I to offer an idea to this guy you know he's he's literally the best and also that's my job that's mm -hmm. my role in this in this studio right now, recording this song with these people, my job is to listen and to tell them what I hear, you know? Yeah, and if you're gonna have a good, meaningful idea in that moment, it's gonna be because you're believing in yeah. your own instincts and you've made yeah. that call. Yeah. That's cool, I can't wait to hear that stuff. That sounds like a really cool project. And I love what you said a moment ago too about spending all that time with your grandmother and getting those stories recorded because, you know, we're sort of, 
wandering blindly ahead into this age of digital everything and instant gratification and short-term everything. And it's so important that those legacies and those stories get captured. So that's cool. What, what are you going to do with that? Do you know? Well, um, it's been like sort of slow going. I've had all these ideas about you know, timelines and, and how I would process it. I thought that I would process it all while she was still alive so I could ask questions, but it's like, it's just so much. And then since she's passed, you know, I have done a good bit of listening and I would like to turn it into a series and I would like to, you know, interview family members and because it's, it's her story and that's the interesting part about it is that it's her story, but it's also her story. You know, and there's a lot of different perspectives about how all of this went down. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting radical cool. story. Um, so I'd like to bring and and uh, there, my family, a lot of my family members like want to contribute because they're like, let me tell you how it really was. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. So there's, it's gonna be. I think this is gonna be like a lifelong thing. Is me processing through these recordings with my grandma. This is like my life work, my real life work. Um. It's just like understanding the story that brought me here. It's like a little bit closer than understanding political history and, you know, religious history. All of these things are like, feel so far away. And this mm. feels like a really close way of understanding where I came from yeah. and, and what got me here. So, um, but the first thing that I've done is is I've taken a few excerpts from the talks and put them onto the record. There was, there was at one point, there's one song, you know, and a lot of these songs I had written, like, like the first single that's going to come out is called Queen of Time. And I wrote that song in like, I want to say 2016. It was like, I was still touring with Huggy Bear and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, sort of like the, the archetypal, uh, flat belly crew and um, and we just didn't use it it just didn't make its way into our repertoire so it had been sitting there and 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 I actually recorded it in that first session um, that I did in March of 2020 um, and didn't use that recording either we like this is like a, a that song went through a lot of um, went through a lot of time before it got to become what a thrill it is to not be needed What a drag it is to be all thrilled I'm a wishing well I'm a wishing well Well, well Check it out Love Calls is another one that I had started writing. I wrote that with PJ, like right after Ionia came out. Mm-hmm. It had to be around that same time, like, like uh, Ionia came out in 2015, so it's probably like 2016-ish. Um, and I just been like, you know, it just didn't ever have the right place. But now it like all these songs, it makes sense. It's like that's always how it goes, right? It's like yeah. it makes sense that they didn't have their time because their time is now, and they sure. and they make sense now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's really cool. But Love Calls had this like huge jam space that like didn't really have anything in it yet, and it wasn't really like 
it didn't feel like somebody should be taking a solo necessarily. It didn't feel like, and I played it for some friends of mine. Um, I played it for my friends, Allie and Amelia. And, and I think it was, I can't remember which one of them. But they're like, I want to hear more Lou here, you know? And, and it struck me in that moment, like, well, what version of me? There's a lot of, like, we are never one thing. We are, we, are, we contain multitudes, as, as the great Mr. Dylan yeah, <laughs> once said. Um, and I realized that it was the part of me that is so invested in understanding my grandmother. And so I took part of one of our conversations and put it into that song. Cool. So it sort of like has that... Um, you know, uh, Ani DeFranco and Utah Phillips feel to it, where it's like oral history and music combined. Hello? Hey. Oh. Can you hear me? Kind of, yeah. Okay. How's it going? So it's like, this is like my first taste of releasing some of these talks with grandma. Cool. And, and it's going to be, I think it's, you know, I go back to, and it's like, it's a little bit heart wrenching one because she's gone. And another, because it's like, I'm, I'm having to confront these, this version of myself from five or seven years ago. That's like, you know, it's like you just feel like any listening to any past version of yourself, it comes with a certain amount of like shame or embarrassment sure. or like, you know, it's it's a lot. Listening to these listening to these recordings is like it's an undertaking. Yeah. Um, and there's and I just feel like it's I have a lot of work cut out for me. So I'm not putting any sort of a deadline on how or what's going to happen. But I'd like to turn it into sort of like a story podcast, you know. Very cool. Well, I look forward to checking out what you do with that because there's a lot of weight behind that, I can tell, and that's where the real stuff is. And it even sounds like it's informed, you know, stuff on this record that's upcoming. So that's that's really awesome. So I wanna I wanna shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your career because you you have such an interesting career. And I think, you know, of all our contemporaries and peers, you're really unique and you've been in so many places these last few years, you know, as a special guest and performing music under your own name in different configurations with different sounds. And I just wanted to ask, you know, how all of that came up? Was that all sort of by design or do you feel like maybe it was more out of demand or necessity because, you know, it's, it's, it's noticeable and it's awesome. You know, we get to hear you so much in so many different configurations. So, how did all that come to be? Well, it's the same, you know, just containment of multitudes. It's like, I can't. Like, part of it is probably driven, at least in some way, by my pretty extreme ADD. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's hard for me to just like, um, I don't know. And it's like a personality thing, too, I think. It's like, when I was with the Flatbellies and that was my whole life, I felt constrained, you know? And like, and I, there were different moments where Josh and PJ would, would both say to me, like, I can tell you feel, you know, like trapped kind of. And nobody wants to feel trapped and nobody wants to feel like they're part of the reason for someone feeling trapped, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, I've had the I've had the 
the um, the uh, what is it? I can't think of the way to say it. Um, the opportunity to experience, you know, that thing. The thing about about being in a band that's so special is that you develop a shared consciousness with each other where it's like when you play music you're like uh breathing together and thinking together in such a special way that only is that way because of how much time that Mm -hmm. you've put in with each other you know um and i'm so glad that i got to experience that and get to still experience it you know and will get to experience it uh, in in other ways and I also love this, like, edge of your seat, you know, it's like, I belong to the band Hallelujah, you know, what kind of band are we talking about? It's like, we are all in the band together. So I love, you know, and I've been doing this all along, too, even while I was with the Flat Valleys, like, sit, sitting in with, with y'all, for example, sitting mm-hmm. in with the String Dusters, it's like, getting to feel that. Um, and I guess... The Flatbellies were kind of like that too. It was like we were Lindsay Lou on the Flatbellies because the Flatbellies were already a band. And I like, I came into it and I got to, and I sort of like put together, you know, that, that all, you can hear all sorts of interviews about how that all came together. But, um, but getting to be the sort of like, you know, one of the things that I, that I was, was, meant to say earlier is like one of the ways that I was producing this last session is I was singing the scratch vocals and I realized that what when I'm singing with the take as it's happening that's sort of one of the ways that I'm producing it because they're all reacting to things that I'm doing as I'm singing Mm -hmm. it we're all reacting to each other and so you know I can I can hear certain things that are happening because of the spirit and the energy that I'm putting into it. And that's the thing that I loved about playing with Flatbellies. That's the thing that I love about sitting in with the String Dusters or sitting in with Green Sky is that, you know, I get to, I get to be a guest with, um, whether it's like a band that's a band, I get to be a guest and like have this conversation with this living, breathing entity, you know, um, Love that. which is so, feels so special. And, and, you know, and you can feel it like when I'm on stage, you know, and you can feel like the crowd feeling it too. This, this like special thing that's happening with me being somebody who does this and y'all being people who do what you do and us coming together is, feels so special. And then I also love putting together like curating sets at festivals where it's like, I, I, I know enough people who, who, have enough musical mojo together and I've played enough of my songs with all these people I can put something together and it's like we're a band you know we all belong to this band and um it's like the thing that I love about bluegrass you get together with people you don't even know and you're a band Mm -hmm. you know Yeah. no that's 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 really cool and you're cut out for that because I think not only are you eclectic in your taste, but also your singing style? Like you cover a wide, a wide swath there. And I, I read in one interview that you kind of took up bluegrass a little bit out of necessity because you met the flat bellies and it was like, all right, well, this is what you guys do. Let me see if I can fit into this. But kind of. I mean, it also felt like home because I grew up singing with my family. So just being able to like sing harmonies in an acoustic setting also just felt like finding home. Right. You know? Right. So it was, you're right, that it was partly out of necessity because that's what they were doing. But it also excited me a lot. You yeah. know? It felt like it had the energy of punk rock that I loved. And it had the familiarity of harmony singing on a front porch with people playing acoustic instruments. It just felt like everything that was right for me. Yeah, there's know? clearly a good synergy there. And your voice and the, the root sound of it. And then this, this EP that you put out, you thought you knew really, really cool tracks, by the way. There's there's one with Billy, great song called Freedom. You guys should check it out. Um, there's three tracks on there. And these have like more of an old timey, the one with Billy is like an old bluegrassy gospel Doc Watson-y sound. And 
I read a great quote, I think it was in a BGS, in a Bluegrass Situation article where you said, I hope my longtime fans will appreciate the EP as a sort of peace offering before I take another jaunt into the exploratory world of my multifaceted musical identity. And I loved that. And it resonates because you really do have this multifaceted musical identity. And and now it seems like, you know, you're you're moving on and you're moving into new and different places, but it also sounds like we can expect like that that will continue to evolve as long as you're making art. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which, which which is which is cool and I and I think fitting. I know like when we when we jam together it's you know it's it's more Aretha Franklin and less, you know, Bill Monroe. Yeah. What about the new record? Do you feel like sonically that it's a step away from that old time feel that the last EP has that some of the previous music has? It's sort of like, you know, moving um, in a really organic evolution um, into, yeah, some other sounds. So the first song is that song that Maya and Phoebe wrote that Jerry's playing on. And that feels like a really sweet connection between where I am now and this sort of legacy that I that I've that I, I had created with the Flatbellies. It feels almost like if if Lindsay Lou and the Flatbellies were a thing now, this is what it would sound like. Okay, you know, um, which feels safe and it feels um, comfortable, you know, or like a warm hug, as Billy put it. You know, it it feels. Um, you know, like this is still me. Like, hey, I'm 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 about to do some other things here, but this is still me. I'm still also this, you know. And then the next song is the song that I wrote. Um, one of the other songs I wrote with Billy that he put. So he put that freedom song on his record, Home, and on Renewal, our co-write was um, the song called Nothing's Working. And I really wanted to have. Um, you know, on the demos, it was the two of us singing Freedom and it was me singing lead on Nothing's Working. And I wanted to have versions of that that sound, I get like demo-itis, you know, I get attached to the way demos sound. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I wanted to have those demos. And I also was hearing this other world that that song lived in, you know, like it's when Billy recorded it, it's like the Billy Strings jam band world. Um, that's where that song lives. But I like, I was just hearing this other world that that song lived in the first, the first time we started writing it, you know, I could already hear this other world that that song lived in. And I'm always like listening, like, what is this song? I think that that's our job as, as songwriters, as artists, as producers, as, as a singer, as, as a, as a musician, I'm like, and as an artist, I'm listening for what does this song want, you know? And and I just felt like I was hearing like, like I don't know, I was like, it's like Primus drums or like like metal drums or like something. It's in like synths. It's like I'm, I'm just hearing it live in this different world. So, you know, it goes pretty instantly from this cozy version of Lindsay Lou that... that that you are familiar with into this like song that you've already heard because you've heard Billy's version of it. Um, but this is like where I hear it living. Very cool. I um, love that. And it's like, you know, very Cynthia. And there's, I definitely, there were some moments where I remember the guys being like, all right, Lindsay Lou's making a rock and roll record, <laughs> uh. you know? And I wouldn't say that this is necessarily a rock and roll record, but there are some elements of that. There are some elements of like my teenage angst coming up, you know? And, you know, there's the, especially the, the couple of songs, especially this, this song, Shame, that might be my favorite one on the record right now. Um, and it feels like the most rocking to me. Um, and it's like the one, it was like Billy and I finished Nothing's Working. And like that day, I finished these two other songs that I had been sitting on. This was this all happened the first month of the pandemic. It was the month of March. Um, it might have even been April. It might have been like months of, of, of 
when he came over, we finished Nothing's Working. And then I just like, this, like the floodgates opened and I finished these other two songs. And that felt like, that felt like, okay, this record is like really happening now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, anyway, that's, that, that, those songs are, 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 are rocking pretty good. Um, but you know, this has been, anybody who's been listening to my, my music, even from way back in like the release of Shrouds days, it's like, there's always been oh, yeah. other elements of everything sure. all in there. You know, it was just, it was just, release your shards was all bluegrass instrumentation. There was a trumpet on that though, you know, but it's like, I've just been getting better at realizing how I hear these songs come to life. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what people want to hear. And as mm-hmm. you get deeper into the song and also into your whole evolution as an artist, you know, the more tuned in you are to that, the more compelling the music is. So mm-hmm. I say bring it on. I can't wait to hear it. I have a question for you about your songwriting. Um, I, heard, I read a great quote from you where you said, with regard to your writing and sort of the goal, I guess, of your writing, the expression of your music, that you said you want people to know they're not alone. Yeah. Which that's so powerful. And I'm just curious to hear from you you know, where does that come from? Does that come from your own experiences with music or your own experiences in life? And then how does that manifest in your songs? Oh yeah. Big time. I mean, you know, there've been times, like I remember one time I was, I was, I was on, Josh was giving me a ride to the airport for this warbler run that we had in Michigan. And I left my front door 30 minutes before the plane left like there's no way I'm getting on this plane well (laughs) I did end up getting on the plane by some crazy fantastic miracle but on the way there it's like I'm just like in the depths of self-loathing like how could I have done this how could I have as as you've seen is this time management can be something that bites me in the in the in the (laughs) behind sometimes but I'm like how could I have how could I have done this I have you know it's like this it was like a really special show that we were doing for somebody. It was like a sort of memorial thing. Like I felt a, an emotional investment in being there at the show, and here I was late for the show, and I just felt so distraught. And I put on May's May Early Wine, one of May Early Wine's records, and she's an artist that is like this for me, almost more than anybody. And it's like all of a sudden, and I felt like this before she was my friend, but before even before she was my friend, I feel like. I have a, I have an advocate, I have a friend, I have somebody who's on my side, who understands me, who gets me, who is, who is singing a lullaby to me to like calm my spirit. Uh, now all of a sudden I'm like crying in the car, but it's like tears of release and mm-hmm. relief of like, it doesn't matter because there is a Mayor Lewine who sings these words, everything is going to be okay, you know? And do you feel and like I, that's because you are just relating to she's giving a voice to what you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like totally she's giving a voice to what I'm feeling. And I've and I've had that experience especially with her music in a lot of different ways. But I've had it with a lot of different artists too. It's like the music has fills such a a unique role in the human experience where it's like yeah, it's like the thing that makes baseball games and movies more entertaining because it gives you an emotional element that you don't even realize, you know, it's like the, the creates the fun time at the party. It's like, you know, it does a lot of different things, but it also in a really intimate introspective way gives you a feeling of being seen and of belonging, you know? And, Absolutely. Yeah. And like, you can't do this, on purpose you can't it's like I can't write something and be like I'm gonna write this so that that person feels less alone you just write authentically to yourself and because Mm -hmm. we're all sharing this experience together you know you just know that otherwise you wouldn't release any music you know you would just write it for yourself and that would be it you know I would be be the only one that ever heard any of my songs if it wasn't the case that I knew that that someone out there is going to hear this and and they're going to just feel some relief 
that their experience has a voice. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And music too, it's broken down into these different parts. And a lot of times we focus on the lyrics, but I think one of the things that makes it this universal language and, you know, similar to the oneness of like you reference like psychedelics or it could be meditation or any of these things that help us arrive a little closer at that place. Well, music, the rhythm and the melody part are an absolute universal language. You don't need to know the right. words that someone is saying. And so you have these messages, words, lyrics wrapped up in these emotion conveyors, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's incredible how they work together to sort of twist those little dials, stir those things up in you. And then again, you get to that place where the music and the words together, they kind of like, they resonate with something that you felt. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it's all about, I guess. Mm -hmm. totally. um, this has been so awesome. I, I can honestly say I'm more excited to hear your record than just, you know, I, I mean, I get to do a lot of these great deep dives with artists, but there's so much behind this music I can just tell. And I'm really excited to, uh, to check this stuff out and also to share this great chat with the world. Lindsay Lou, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. That's a wrap on episode 35. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And if you are tuned in, I've got a favor to ask. Please head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps like you would not believe. It helps keep this train rolling. Big thanks to my amazing guest this week, Lindsay Lou. Check out her incredible new album, Queen of Time. Big shout out to my sponsor this season, Deering Banjos, your go-to for everything banjo, and to Osiris Media and Americana Vibes for helping me make the podcast happen. You're not going to want to miss the next episode when I am in the presence of Bluegrass Royalty, the one, the only Sam Bush joins me here on the podcast and it was such a great conversation reminiscing wisdom music and so much more and it all goes down right here in two weeks when we go back inside the musician's brain Osiris. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The, the Corner, Corner of Grey Street. Street.